0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us in the first episode, I believe, of uh, our Mops Confessions Season 5, and we are starting with a banger today. Uh, I'm really excited to uh, be joined by two awesome folks from uh, Lucid Chart, uh, Stephanie and Peter, who um, represent kind of uh, two sides of the same coin to some extent, both working um, on a lot of Mops topics, and Stephanie with more of the... Um, analytics uh, background and Peter and I would say maybe the more traditional um, MOPS perspective. So maybe um, before we get started, if you don't mind just like giving maybe a very quick intro uh, about yourselves and yeah, we can start with with Stephanie.
1: Yeah, so I am Stephanie Cameron. I've been at Lucid for just over two years um, and I manage the marketing analytics team at Lucid.
2: Awesome. Peter? I'm Peter. Um, I run the marketing ops function at Lucid. Um, and I've been here for about two and a half years now.
0: Exciting. And I was mentioning this before as we were preparing. So, uh, I mean, recommend everyone checking, uh, Lucid chart out if you've never interacted with it, uh, if you've been living under a rock, uh, for the past five years. But, uh, so one of the awesome things that is happening at Lucid is that they've been coming out with a lot of products, uh, lately. Uh, so I've, known both Stephanie and uh, Peter for um, about a year and a half or so. And it's been super cool to see Lucid ship out new products and go through different product launches, which definitely has had uh, an impact on how the team operates and um, and what they do. So that's like one of the elements that we'll touch uh, upon a little bit today. So um, kind of the, the quick reminder, I think, I mean, looking at the names in the chat, there's a lot of familiar faces and familiar names. So. Um, As a reminder, feel free to ask questions either directly in the chat or in the little questions tab uh, that we have in Livestorm. And we'll kind of treat them as they go, trying to uh, respect the flow of the conversation. Uh, But yeah, as again, as always, like the whole idea here is to take, you know, experts and people that are awesome in the field and have them share a little bit of their, uh, you know, war stories and their successes so that hopefully we as a community can all learn from them and just improve the state of MOPS today. So one of the things because uh, it, it's fairly almost unusual to have someone with like, you know, such a strong analytics background in uh, in one of these episodes. So one of the things I was excited about uh, hearing is your definition of uh, marketing operations. And so I know uh, Stephanie was hoping Peter would go first, which is why she's going to get the curveball of having to give her definition of, of mops first.
1: Yeah, this is good. Hopefully I don't, uh, I don't know, offend anybody with my definition. (laughs) Uh, But when I think of marketing ops, I think of the people or the team responsible, really like a lot of managing the marketing systems that go like the engine that kind of powers everything. So um, at least my interaction with marketing ops is often on the system side and making sure that we're getting data into the right systems and, and delivering solutions through those systems in order to like actually execute marketing initiatives, campaigns, et cetera.
0: Makes sense. Uh, Peter, how does that jive was your definition? Uh,
2: that was a great definition. Um, I, I would sort of frame it as like marketing ops is, uh, like they can be the glue between several different go-to-market teams. I think it's different at every company, um, but at Lucid, I think Marketing Ops um, sort of helps glue together our B2C and our B2B motions um, by owning uh, some of the, the marketing technology that goes into that, as well as sort of being the, the product manager for um, what we send over to our sales team.
0: That makes sense. And um, I know, I mean, th- this is a question that we get fairly frequently, but I um, in terms of you know, your place in the organization today, um, do you mind maybe sharing like where does uh, Mops fit today and then where does the analytics team fit and how kind of the two uh, interact?
2: Sure, yeah. Yeah, I can start us off. Um, marketing operations right now sits um, within our growth marketing team. Um, we, we really support sort of our demand generation function primarily. Um so trying to, to get leads over to our sales team. Um, we work closely with some other operations teams um, like sales operations and CX operations um, that sit within uh, some other areas of the organization. Um, and we also work closely with, with some other other teams like within engineering and product uh, and sales, um, ultimately trying to pull all of those requirements um, and strategies together.
1: Yeah. And then as far as the organization of analytics, at Lucid, we have a centralized strategy and analytics team. Um, So I report up through analytics, but within analytics, we are embedded in different departments within the company. So I manage the team that is embedded within marketing and growth. Um, And so technically not part of it, but sort of that dotted line connection where uh, attend all the meetings and and pretty much all the work that we do is to support the growth team.
0: That makes sense. And, and maybe also like for, for context, right. So to people who again, might not know Lucid, but in Lucid, we're talking about, <clears throat> I think not to overinflate the numbers, was like million, I mean, in terms of like active users per month, we're in the like, in these like multiple, multiple hundreds of thousands of active users, so like the scale is massive from a usage perspective and from a company size we're in the multiple, multiple hundreds. So it's like the. You know fairly decent um company size how how do you keep like these you know when we talk about dotted lines it generally works fairly well at like smaller orgs how do you maintain uh, or how do you operate like between marketing ops and an analytics team that might have different purviews different kind of kpis and objectives and what are kind of the rituals that um you folks have in place to make sure that you're all pushing in the in the same direction
1: yeah so i think that's a good question um i don't know that i would say that we have different kpis and objectives i mean certainly there are some that are unique to analytics as a whole where we're thinking through you know data quality measures and we have certain initiatives that are that are more centralized i guess for analytics but when it comes to our department work i mean my goal is that everything that we do is supporting the KPIs and the overall objectives of the department as a whole. So I think um, just in thinking about this, I do think that in order to make it work, process is just important and certain rituals, right? And so as far as planning goes, um, like I think this all just is something that is factored into when we do our quarterly planning or plan out any projects that we're doing is making sure that we're prioritizing things according to the level of impact that it will have on the business. Um, and that we stay closely connected there. And so I think in order to actually have that information in that context, um, there's a lot of like, you know, meetings and, and things that kind of support that connective tissue to help us stay in touch with what are those high level initiatives that the growth team is working on, um, so that we can be, you know, strategic partners and not off working on things that are, that are different in priority than, than what others would think.
2: And one thing I would add, as far as rituals go, is um, even though like we don't really talk about them as rituals internally, um, for like for more proactive work, like what Stephanie's talking about with quarterly planning and um, projects that are uh, a bit more impactful than maybe just like one-off requests, um, we we always like come together and write a brief um, as a way for for us to like hash out our thoughts on paper. Um, and then we can use that brief to align with other teams, um, and really have like a solid document showing exactly what we're thinking. Um, in a way that like won't really change over time. Um, as far as like reactive work goes, I think like we, we always try and stay in touch on uh, one-off requests. Um, maybe we need a, like a set pulled or, or like something analyzed. Um, and so like it, it kind of goes both ways. Um, or, or, we can take requests as the marketing ops team, maybe from analytics. Um, and analytics can take requests from us as well.
0: That makes sense. And, and what would be like the typical kind of, um, I guess, like sections within one of these briefs, like business context, and then kind of the ask the hypothesis, how we're measuring, like what's, is there like a, a bit of a template that, that you folks use?
1: Yeah i can start i can start and peter can can add i think uh generally there i would say like different teams have like different specific templates but essentially the categories are all the same right where it's like business context what is the impact of the project what is the problem that we're trying to solve um what are the current gaps i think one important part of project briefs in my mind is identifying the people that should be involved whether that's just people that need to be informed or people that need to be able to sign off on this, or teams that are dependencies on this work. And, and servicing that upfront is really important, I think, to for that just overall overall alignment. Um, yeah, I don't know anything, anything you would add, Peter?
2: Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, one thing that I really like in the uh, analytics brief format um, is they have a section called situation. And then a section called complication. So it really forces you to talk about like what you're seeing right now and then like why it's, it's like not ideal, or there's some opportunity that we could take advantage of before getting into like what exactly we're trying to accomplish. Um, I just love the framing of those terms where it just like really forces you to, to think in a different way than just like, here's the context.
0: Yep. Makes sense. So situation complication,
1: and then we'll lead into the, the key questions. So that always comes after, but it's sort of that story format where it's like, okay, what is the current state? And the complication is really focused on why now, right? Like that should lead to a natural like understanding of why this is a priority and why we're working on this. Um, because there's, you know, at every organization, there's lots of problems, but how do you prioritize them and why should you do it this quarter and not, you know, six months from now?
0: And actually, that brings up a, a good uh, a good topic. That uh, I mean, most of the people <clears throat> that operate in, in MOPS, and I was seeing like Jason uh, Belog from Patreon is is on the call, and he actually moved from like a more traditional MOPS role into actually the analytics team. So it's almost like he went from uh, a Peter to a Stephanie, but still like actually within um, reporting to MOPS. And one of the things that we did spend up quite a bit of time talking about that I would love to get um, Stephanie your thoughts on, and then Peter is. How how does MOPs interact with uh, analytics, right? Because sometimes it, it might feel like it's two different worlds and not every company has that very clear dotted line uh, between the two. So what are things MOPs folks can do to, you know, get more support or, yeah, like work better with uh, analytics teams?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think a lot of it goes back to the rituals that we that we were just talking about, right? Making sure that that we're aligned on kind of the long-term objectives. Like I I really do lean on quarterly planning to understand like overall, what is marketing growth? Like what are they trying to do and to be able to anticipate what is the role that analytics might play? But I think on on kind of a micro level where it can be helpful, um, I think my advice here would be for any organization working with analytics, which is really like, ask questions and don't always assume that everything will be easy up front um which i think that just translates to like get us involved early and often if you think that there will be any work um and i think in addition to that providing as much context as possible i mean on analytics we strive to ask for that context and so if you don't you'll know, like You'll definitely have to answer those questions. but but thinking through um, some of those like business questions and and really understanding the impact, because um, what we don't want to do on analytics is just sort of be data monkeys that pull numbers, but we don't really know why, and we don't know what impact that is, because having an understanding of the data means that if somebody comes to us with a problem, lots of times we can come with a solution that maybe they didn't have in mind. But if they come to us with that solution, and we just deliver it without thinking. Then there may have been a better way. Um, so just, I don't know. Keeping us in mind and, and making sure to to include us in the higher level discussions as well is
2: important. Yeah, plus plus one to a lot of that. I've uh, I've definitely learned lots from Stephanie. Um, and tactically, I've I've definitely learned to not refer to anything as easy. <laughs> uh, great way to, to eliminate trust um i think i think from my perspective as a mobs person um a couple things that i've learned that that i think are really helpful is is one like trying to help translate a bit um so, so like stephanie is is like working with our data she's really familiar with um exactly like how our data is structured um what different things mean um But someone like me is going to be a lot familiar, more familiar with like how we're using data in particular platforms. Um, So really trying to translate, like what we're trying to do in a particular platform to something that's a little bit more like analytics friendly. Um, one thing that, that Stephanie and I have talked about recently is, um, is like, uh, how a lot of our platforms that we use say like Marketo and Salesforce, um, are really like data transformation and segmentation platforms. Um, but you know, they're like they're like we use them because they they match a very specific use case. Um, so that's one thing on the translation side. Kind of related to that, I think like, um, you know, like what we talked about earlier being more of like a product manager. Like I think there's sort of an element of project management. Um, with, uh, like a good MOPS analytics relationship where like as a MOPS person, I'm trying to like drive, uh, some sort of business impact. Um, so like really pulling in analytics as a a strong stakeholder and partner, um, and really trying to like help them unblock their work, um, proactively as a way to both build trust and, you know, make their work a, a bit more meaningful and impactful.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense. And I think uh, you started touching upon something that to me was really interesting is how you described uh, um, the tech stack on the go to market side to engineers, right? Because sometimes we kind of forget that not everyone knows what Marketo is and how Marketo is different from Salesforce. And from a purely engineering standpoint, sometimes it seems like it's the same thing. It's like some maybe cool UI in the 90s on top of a database. Uh, and, and it's hard to understand like why they're different. So I think it's super interesting that, you know, that you describe them as like data transformation layers. And maybe I'm curious to hear like how, like how you actually describe those tools to uh, to engineering and potentially how you actually differentiate uh, Marketo versus Salesforce, which are two parts of the of the stack that you folks use today. Um, yeah, maybe Peter, if, uh, if you want to start on that. Yeah, yeah, that's a great
2: question. Um, I would say that like, um, when describing, um, say like Marketo to, to an engineer, um, really just talking about how, um, like the reason why we have Marketo and Salesforce as separate platforms is because of their proximity to a certain use case. So like, um, it's very important for our business to send, uh, emails to help us activate users. Um, to like ultimately increase, uh, ARR for the business. Um, and, and so like, uh, we need to be able to arm, um, the people at Lucid that send emails, um, with data, um, that sort of enables that use case. So we, we have Marketo in place, um, because it's both really good at transforming data, um, as well as, as sort of packaging it up in a way that our email team can can really use um, to do their jobs effectively. So like that's different from Salesforce, where we're we're doing similar sorts of things, um, where we're we're packaging up data for sales reps, but the way that we package that data up um is a lot different than the way we need to package it up um in Marketo. Um so like they're They're made for very distinct groups of people, um, sellers are gonna want to look at very different data than say marketers. Um, so those platforms are separated just because of like the backgrounds and, and sort of the needs of those, those different groups of people.
0: Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. And Stephanie, anything to, to add on that? Or do you, do you have like a. Like similar definition, or maybe like one nuance where you feel like, oh, when someone explained it to me this way or that way, that's when it really clicked, maybe you know, prior to, to lucid. I'm
1: trying to think. I mean, I feel like that's that's a great explanation. I think one thing that just comes to mind, and this is more like the nitty-gritty of us, of us getting familiar and sort of the area where I think Peter has to translate, is um <clears throat> like it's helpful to understand at a high level what Marketo is doing, but also when it comes to data or getting data in the right format or whatever, um, I think that, like, what what Peter ends up doing <laughs> is needing to help translate, like, what the limitations and the structure of that data might look like. Um, and I also think that there's, like, this other aspect of how do you actually get data in and out of these different sy- systems, which ends up impacting a lot of different teams. Um, but just as Peter and I were talking earlier, like, there are there are some examples where we have been working on projects where from an analytics point of view, like we don't always understand the capabilities or the limitations of the way that Marketo or sales fight force might package up that data. And so that's where we definitely lean on, on Peter and marketing apps to be able to help us with that. And, and it's just sort of an iterative conversation, I think, as we go.
0: Yeah, and I think this is like one of the things and it's you know one of our, at least one of my theories in terms of how the the world is evolving on the go to market side, where I think, you know, Lucid is a very good example of that, where like the source of truth and correct me if I'm wrong, right, but today kind of the source of truth for um, like customer data is going to be snowflake more than anything, right? It's like this like central data warehouse in the cloud where like everything pipes in and then it's almost like how do we know, um, select what information we want to make available to each of the different systems. And Snowflake is more, I would say, the territory probably of Stephanie. And then, you know, the Marketo Salesforce more of Peter. And there's a question of like, well, what data can go from uh, Snowflake to Marketo? I think what's interesting is that it requires two parts of understanding. And I know Peter was talking about like MOPS as playing the role of the translator and you know, explaining to um, uh, to the team how um, the, uh, you know, Marketo works, how Salesforce works, and therefore what data uh, you can push into it, as well as understanding what is the data structure of uh, Snowflake. I know, like Peter was mentioning about this, this is one of the things that helped improve the relationship with um analytics is just understanding what is in Snowflake, what are the different like data structures that are out there um, so that we never kind of say, oh, but isn't it just piping data from here to there, but actually understanding that it's not that simple. Um, So I know that, I mean, that requires uh, a lot of time. And like, was it like sessions that the two of you, I mean, do you do it by, you know, building stuff or was there like, do you feel like there's a need for some kind of onboarding where you know, Peter would show you, this is how Marketo transforms and ingest data. And then Stephanie's sharing, oh, and by the way, like this is our data structure. how do you share that information on an ongoing basis?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, I, so I think that like, we have had times where the marketing team has just sort of given trainings to our team as like an overview, um, but there's a lot of things that you don't learn or absorb or fully internalize until you're really just working on projects. So I can think of some projects where I feel like it, it just becomes a forcing, a forcing function, right. To have that like sit down time. Of, okay. Here's what we're recommending we do. Oh, that's not possible. Okay. This is, you know, and, and, and kind of going through that. And I wouldn't really consider myself to be a Marketo expert expert at this point either. Um, but going through that, his, I think helped me mm, anticipate the right questions or at least anticipate when I need to ask Peter questions to clarify things. Um, so I don't know.
0: Peter, if you'd add anything. Um, I don't know. I, I think that was a pretty good overview. Nice. Uh, so I guess like learning by doing, right? Like uh, these exercises are always the best to kind of, uh, learn how the tech stack works. One, um, like one thing that I'm like, because we have this movement towards like Snowflake becoming kind of the new, we call it the new CRM to some extent, just say like, that's where you have your information. I think it's leading marketers and, you know, marketing ops, but also CMOs to have a need for some kind of a data strategy, right? You can't just always rely on other teams to tell you, this is like the data that we can make available. And I think that then trickles down to um, you know, MOPS understanding what data exists in Snowflake and Mops having the skills to actually, you know, provide requirements that are just not, oh, can't you just plug Snowflake into Marketo? How, how have you seen that kind of either like happen at Lucid with the realization that there's just like the scale of, yeah. I mean, the scale of the usage just prevents Lucid from just piping everything into Salesforce and Marketo because it would just like bring those to a grinding halt.
1: Yeah. All right. Let me I'll, I'll take a step back because something that you said, I think uh, there's just a point that is probably interesting to talk about, which is this like idea of a data strategy from the data side of things. And like you said, at Lucid, we strive to have stuff like be the source of truth and kind of that central repository of all of our data. Um, I don't know that that was always true or at least not always as true as it is today. And I think there's been a lot of intentional effort to get to that point. Um, because as you can imagine, right, the more systems you have that are transforming data, the more potential there is for there to be source of truth that exists in these different systems and isn't actually centralized. And I think that actually became problematic, um, at some point. And so there's been a lot of effort, um, not actually on my part individually, but, um, some of my, my partners in analytics have worked closely with marketing on some of that data structure stuff to make sure that, um that it's not just like going every which way and nobody really knows and there's you know this system says that we have this many users you know whatever it is um to make sure that we have that consistency and i i do feel like that is a very important piece for what you're talking about francis which is like everybody having an understanding of what data exists in marketo because i think if everybody's kind of operating in these different places and there is that inconsistency you're never going to get to that point where people have that full understanding or ability to, to know what can be done. Um,
2: I think, I think kind of related to that. I mean, ideally we would use Snowflake as our CRM. Um, but also like some of the best tools that we have available and some of the longest standing tools that we have available, like Marketo and Salesforce, just like can't move quickly enough to like actually make Snowflake our CRM. Um, So, so while we, while we wait for, for Marketo and Salesforce to, to figure that out, um, we, we've done a few things to like, try and make data consistency a little bit better. Um, one of which is like operationalizing, um, what people we have in Marketo and Salesforce defined by parameters in Snowflake. Um, so saying that like these several million people that uh, that meet all these criteria, like let's push them into Marketo. We should definitely send emails to them and, um, and like run campaigns, uh, like using their information. Um, and then once they don't meet that criteria set anymore, then we should remove them from Marketo. Um, so, so it's work in progress for both those platforms, but I think that's like one way that we're really trying to, to sort of like enable, um, the vision of like having, um, having snowflake be our CRM.
0: That makes sense. And, and maybe from the like data strategy perspective on the go to market side, um, is this something that's piloted on the, the growth team side, maybe higher level on the CMO side to figure out, you know, we need someone to like, think hard and deep about this and figure out what data goes into Marketo, how do we do it? How do we you know, have products in place that enable us to iterate quickly? How do we make sure we have the right people that are trained on this? Um, like kind of curious if that's if you feel like it's been maybe ad hoc until lately, and now you're starting to see maybe a more um, deliberate and consistent way of thinking about this within the organization.
2: I think we're I think we're getting there,
0: um,
2: I think. Uh, like for us, we started with Marketo and it was just cause like we kept going over our, our limit, um, of how many lead records we could have in our Marketo database, which hopefully, <laughs> hopefully others on the call are, are in a similar situation. Um, I think that like, so it started from sort of an ad hoc place and then now that we've proven value and we're, we're working through this, um, same sort of opportunity through a, a range of platforms, um. I think like it has enough attention at this point where, um, we're like now we're, we're thinking about it more from like, a uh, an executive level, like all the way down through like an IC level.
0: Makes sense. And, and I guess, Stephanie, your team is like, do you feel like your the team is being, you know, pulled into these conversations to figure out like how, how to think about it, evaluate tools that could help like remove dependencies from, engineering and analytics towards like more go to market and and things like that
1: yeah definitely um i would say i have been involved in some of those conversations but also i will i will do a plug again for my uh my partners on analytics we have a we have a team within our analytics team called analytics engineering which um focuses a lot on like these systems kinds of things like how does data get in and out of snowflake and um, there's been a lot of work, I know, with them to to try to, like, figure some of these things out as well, um, where I think my team has also been part of this, like, the example of who do we have in Marketo and how do we decide the criteria and how do we remove them? Um, I think that, that that process is probably a little bit more streamlined now, but there was a point where, like, part of the work that my team was doing was just doing an analysis, like, okay, so who is in Marketo? Um, what are their qualities and like, let's just play around with different filters. What if we get rid of these people? Like to kind of try to find this balance between strategy and also like optimizing the platform itself and that efficiency. And so doing some of that upfront work, I think, and having those conversations with marketing, like the goal was really to just sort of, I don't know, inform the strategy. And I think, I think there's a lot of people that are involved in those decisions. Um, but that's one area where, where we
0: played a part. That makes sense. Um, yeah, cause I think there, I mean, you know, there's like the, the traditional, like, you know, people process and like tech or product, however you want to call it, that like needs to be there to support that strategy. And I think, I mean, yeah, it's exciting when you get to the point where Marketo can no longer like hold everything in, it becomes a forcing function. But I think what we're, we're starting to see is marketers have to think about that earlier on, cause beyond like volume of. Um, that people in Marketo, even just like the volume of events uh, is just too much to push in. I know like we have a bunch of customers running into issues with this on the HubSpot side where HubSpot is not just built to support, you know, millions of activities per per week by, by users. And it just makes everything impossible to build segmentation, things like that. And you start realizing that the your tech stack is starting to hinder your capabilities to execute uh, campaigns. And I'm curious, like, do you feel like, you know, even uh, like lately that has been something that you've been seeing less of, of realizing, oh, like we actually, we're getting to a point where there are fewer experiments that we want to run that are limited by our technical uh, capabilities or have you just simply adjusted and you don't even think about those experiments because you know they're, uh, they're not possible? Yeah, uh, for Peter on the on the marketing side. Yeah, um, I don't I have a great answer there.
2: I mean, I would say that like we are like the experiments that we run are generally not across like our entire population of users or even like everyone in Marketo. I think like data throughput is always a concern when we run any sort of experiment. Um, so. I would say that, like actually we, we probably just like try and um, keep experiments like to a, a representative population of people um, instead of like trying to run some massive experiment. Um, I think a good example of that is um, say with like the account scoring implementation we're, we're working on you guys with um, we're, we're trying to keep that to just like one sales team um, across like a fairly small pool of accounts, um, instead of trying to like score, like everyone and and anyone
0: that, that we have, uh, in our database. Makes sense. Um, and maybe one thing, uh, I mean, for both of you, but, uh, maybe we'll start with Peter, but, um, like a question that, uh, a lot of folks usually ask is how, um, in a plg motion like how do you determine with you know who's ready to be handed over uh to sales uh I, it's like fairly broad question but it's like one of the more like standard questions that everyone asks oh man uh, i think i think uh stephanie
2: and i could each probably monologue for like multiple days <laughs> uninterrupted um i think that like when determining who should be handed over to sales? Like we think about it in terms of like two different buckets. There are people that have raised their hands, um, which which we generally think like almost all those people should be handed over to sales. Someone fills out a form, someone starts a live chat conversation, someone calls us, like absolutely, please engage with our sales team. Um, but then we we uh work with so many people um, or like we have so many users that haven't raised their hands yet. Um, but there's a potential sales opportunity. Um, so so we've actually been through like several iterations, um, including with Mad Kudu, on how we identify um, key characteristics that are are a good fit um, for our sales team. Um, I think like through each one of those iterations, um, we've we've like created a number of hypotheses. Um, we've kind of like thrown spaghetti against the wall figure out what what sticks and then we work closely with our sales team to validate um, if if that spaghetti is actually good um i would say like we've become a lot more sophisticated over time um especially like with our our latest iteration um but i think that like one thing for us that's that's kind of a, a tough um a tough nut to crack is there's a very small percentage of our users that do the same things in our products because our products um, have so many different use cases and they can really be used by like just about anyone. Um, So for us to say that like someone does five different things in our products and their title is X, therefore they should go to sales is just like, not really good enough um, for, for our business. Um, So, so figuring out like all of the different complexities and nuances of who could be a good fit for sales, and then doing deep validation with our sellers, um, is, is kind of like how we've gone about that.
1: Yeah, that was a good summary. I don't know that I have anything to add.
0: Makes sense. Um, <clears throat> and then from an enablement standpoint, I guess like the, like that complexity probably translate into fact that. You might have like different types of like if you want to call it pqls or whatever like leads that get promoted from um like the go-to-market team to the sales team how um yeah how how have you been kind of like supporting that enablement to help them figure out like this is what you should talk about this is what you should pitch them um for like you know a product like lucid that actually has is very you know wide horizontally in terms of the the types of companies that you can sell into
2: Yeah. Uh, another, another question where we could could go on and on. Um, one thing that, that we've been working through is, is so like, like I mentioned there are thousands of different permutations of like who our sales team could engage with, um, that we actually want to send over to sales. Um, so like what we've, we've learned, uh, is that like, we can't just tell our sales team like, Hey, any one of these like thousands of different types of people, um, like you should just reach out to them instead what we've done recently is, is figured out a framework where we can easily categorize these people into about like five different categories. um, and say like, we think that this person is a good fit for this play. Um, if you agree with that, please reach out and, and hear a few like different templated series of emails that you can customize based on the signals that, that we're sharing with you. Um, I think like that that's a piece that we've missed in the past. Um, whereas like in the past, we've really been focused on like providing as much context to our sellers as possible. Um, so, so looking forward to, to seeing
0: what the impact of that is. Stephanie, anything to, to add on that or?
1: No, I don't think so. I think that once again, a good story.
0: <laughs> um yeah, I mean, and and that's typically like uh like a pretty big uh a pretty big challenge. I know um I think this is actually in our I want to say season two that we had Jasmine from Lesson Lee who was on the um on the hot seat. And one of the things she was mentioning, and it is like the concept of empathy, right? And the way she was describing that is saying, Hey, like as a mops, it's critical that you, you know, put yourself in a rep's shoes and like Go into Salesforce, take a look at the list of you know, leads or accounts that are being assigned to you. And and then try to figure out, okay, pick one. Try to reach out to them. What what do you tell them? Why? How? Like what where do you get that, you know, kind of information? And for her, she was mentioning it was kind of a, a big aha moment in her career to realize that we Sometimes as marketers kind of think of things statistically or like, oh, like statistically, these people make sense to reach out to statistically, these people will convert at a higher rate, but then reps at the end of the day are confronted with like an individual that they have to reach out to. And very often, I think we. yeah, we forget the enablement piece, which I think is kind of what you were saying, like the enablement came second and you're excited to see what the, the results are, are going to be. But I'm curious, like, have, is this an exercise that you've been doing uh, lately or have you been just like <clears throat> logging into Salesforce and taking a look, see what do the reps see and how can we quickly iterate to make things better for them?
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um... One thing that we do, a, a ritual, if you will, um, is we'll we'll listen to calls um with like sort of like a random sample um of leads that we've sent over to our sales team um just to see like what sort of conversation ensues. Like they've clearly already reached out via email and connected that way. Um so this person is like probably somewhat qualified to talk to. Um and then like Given the information we've surfaced to them, and additional research done by by sales reps, um, like what what sort of conversation results, and like is it meaningful? Um, so that's one thing that we do. Um, also, uh, particularly recently, I've I've hopped on a number of calls um, just to have sellers just walk me through um, a record and like what the different points of confusion are, um, because we we have. Um, like such a, a solid pool of data, data um, which is like, you know, shout out to Stephanie there. Um, and because we have so many millions of users, um, the amount of data that we can put in front of our sales reps is pretty overwhelming. Um, so, like, I, I really love to, to, like, go through a record with a seller and then just have them call out, like, this makes sense. This doesn't like, these are kind of the same thing, but they like always tell me a different story. Um, just so we can get a a better understanding of like how to clean up the the rep experience and better enable our sales team.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Steph, yeah. On your, on your side, how, how do you guys look about this?
1: Yeah. I was gonna say I have a couple of thoughts here. So one is sort of just a general thing that I feel like I've learned in working in and around analytics, which is that, um, one thing that is really challenging when working with data, especially like building any sort of like model, you know, people love the, the model buzzword, but um, it's tough because when you work with it, you're like, this is so awesome. This is so sophisticated. Like we're delivering them the best leads possible. And if people don't understand it or trust it, then like it does nothing. And so um, that empathy and that enablement piece really is so important. And I, and I don't know that we've always gotten it right, but like, Like things need to be presented in a way that is understandable and tangible and actionable. And so if you tell somebody like there's a model like sometimes it's just this black box that that there's almost like an inherent distrust in something that is a That is a model you know data science machine learning you know whatever whatever buzzword you want to use and most of the time there is a much more simple explanation for people but it's really important for you to empathize with where they're coming from and what they're supposed to do with it and what that all means and and kind of break it down in language that makes sense so um that's sort of a general thought that that i have and i think that we certainly learned that with the product qualified motion um Um, but I think as far as like developing that empathy, um, I know, I mean, this, this kind of goes, I don't know, it's related to marketing ops and and also maybe a little bit separate, but this is something that we do on analytics, like in like recently trying to build a dashboard that sales is going to use and, and like, who are we to know how sales does their jobs, you know? So like there have been lots of need finding meetings where we just really have to sit down and understand, um, not just what they're doing, but why, because I think this is the other part where. Uh, where marketing can play a role, and it's like this difficult dance of how much do we, as a marketing org, like decide or direct sales strategy? And I'm and I'm not here to like pretend like we should be telling people what their sales strategy should be, but kind of to Peter's point in talking about like crafting that message or like hey, here are certain types of PQUs or you know how you should talk to them. It's really important to understand why they're doing certain things because they may be interacting with those leads that you give them in different ways than you intend and sometimes that's good like they're doing it in a way that's better and sometimes it's reflective of like oh we're not communicating something correctly or we're not delivering the right solution to people to actually uh interact in the way that we think is like the most strategic or or whatever the case may be so i don't know all those things came up in my mind
0: that makes a lot of sense and it reminds me of uh like one of the the things I, I try to educate marketers around, I think even on the analytics side, you kind of mentioned it, but there's in AI, we still have to figure out a good, um, we call them like interaction personalities. Um, and so like the design around AI is still pretty bad. I mean, it's still like very early on and we see it with like autonomous cars, right? People freak out when they hear that, like this car is driving alone and some other people are like, oh, perfect. Like no more drunk driving. Like this is gonna actually save lives. Um, And one of the things that I see on the, on the marketing side or go to market side is there's, so there's two interaction personalities uh, that are typically, or there's like the police AI and the buddy AI. And the police AI is meant to make a decision for you. And it knows what's in your best interest. It might go against like preconceived notions or whatnot, but it's telling you what to do. And then the buddy AI is rather an AI that enhances your experience by giving you recommendations and showing you things that are not obvious, but the last choice is still for the user to make, and what's really interesting is in the con, you know, in the context of figuring out what leads we want to route to sales or like things like all this enablement. Very often, marketing thinks about it from a very police AI perspective, like this is what you should do; these are the people you should talk to, and sales is generally not gonna. That's not gonna drive adoption, right? What they want is a police a buddy AI, sorry, and I think. Salesforce Einstein, to some extent, like, I I think the one big success that they had in that product is how it shows up in Salesforce. Like, oh, here are some opportunities that you should go check. And like, these are some things that we recommend. And at least like the thing they did really well is embrace the fact that reps will adopt a product that seems to give them an edge rather than something that's telling them how to do their job. And, and I think this is where very often on the, the marketing side, we kind of fail to realize that reps don't want to be told what to do. And and very often, they know better how to sell to people. And it's like, how do we help them focus their energy and time on, on what they do best? And I do feel like this is something that is hard right because we see the data we run the regressions and we're like ah but if only you would do this and it's more about like how do we drive adoption by showing that we're there to help and like being a buddy rather than being the police was like enforcing a super strict sla and not necessarily uh figuring out what they're they're doing in the background so I, I don't know if that resonates and if you've seen things like this but i feel like that's one of the reasons why these initiatives of like scoring that just like kind of like tend to fail with sales.
1: Yep. I remember talking to Peter once who, who made a comment about like, just the frustration of anytime there's like a group of us on like the technical or marketing side, and we're trying to figure out what to do. And someone's like, let's just put on, just put on your sales rep hat, you know, like this <laughs> idea of like, none of us are salespeople. And like, actually we all probably make really terrible salespeople. And in my experience, when talking to actual salespeople, like, I learned so much more than what my hypothesis even was, you know, like, it's just, anyway, the, I like that, that recognizing that there is sort of expertise in, in all areas and, and what that role is. Yeah.
2: Yeah, It totally resonates with me as well. Um, I kind of want to steal your analogy, Francis.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it, it makes sense. And it's, it's one of those where I see like, again, like why I, try to talk more about this data strategy, <clears throat> which incorporates part of this of saying, and, and Stephanie, you mentioned it, I think very clearly, right? At the end of the day, no matter how good your model is, I think it's like George Box, like a famous statistician who said this, like all models are wrong, but some are useful. And the idea is that you can try and achieve the perfect model. If nobody's going to use it, you might as well not waste your time and do anything, just like go on a weekend. Um, and I think very often we have this thing where we, we kind of forget that yeah, like the, the whole point is of, of doing this is to have sales actually use it for something. And, and we tend to um, forget the um, the user. And actually, this is one of the things that um, I wanted to to talk a tiny bit about before um, before we end. I know um, we we're we were talking about like the, the role of marketing ops. And I think there's something there of saying how you turn kind of user stories into tech specs to some extent, because like the part of the role of marketing ops is actually really understanding you know what the job of sales is to so like start building user stories of like oh if this rep wants to reach out to this person this is the kind of information they need and turning that user story into a set of tech specs that he can then share with stephanie say hey this is the kind of data we need can you help us package it and and push it forward um have you seen that become more common and have you run into specific struggles that um you would want to share that would help people go faster and you know doing that translation
2: um yeah i i would say that like we run into this sort of at an increasing rate um like as as lucid continues to scale and we're we're constantly hiring people or constantly growing in, in other ways um the the um, need to have feedback funnel into marketing ops is just like an increasingly greater need and there's so much feedback to funnel in um i would say that like one thing one thing that i try to do is um to really like dig deep into any sort of feedback as it's surfaced um, which can be kind of hard to do um, but just like sometimes we've had a, a piece of feedback that seems really tiny, um, but it would actually be like really impactful if we implemented that feedback, um, like for all of our sellers. Um, so, so one thing I try to do is like dig in quickly. Um, and then another piece is, is just like keep track of all of the feedback that we get. Maybe there's something that we can't implement right now. Um, just because like, it's like a bit too far fetched. Um, but. But perhaps that request is going to come in from several different teams. Um, and then there's there's like much more of a sort of aligned need um, for us to, to like move quickly on something. Um, I would say also like, um, you know, like in that digging in process, um, like trying to figure out how you could potentially frame something to a technical team um, in a way that really makes sense. Um, so first like figuring out how to like convince yourself that this feedback is like really impactful, like maybe translating the requirements into like your own, like the way you think,
0: um, before translating further, so I can answer your question. Yep. Nice. And, and Steph, have you run it? I, I know it's one thing that you're kind of like briefly mentioning in, in our, our chat before, right. That sometimes this like one of the challenges of like, by the time it makes it to the analytics team, there might have been so many layers that it's hard like you deliver something that ends up not necessarily being you know addressing the right pain point for uh for the sellers um uh, and it, yeah it's kind of like this this concept of of blind spots and um like how you've been approaching re- reducing as much as possible these blind spots
1: Yeah that's a good question I mean I think I think everything that Peter said is helpful I with a lot of those blind spots i think it is a little bit tricky because i think um particularly when like the, it's trying to deliver something valuable for sales right there are a lot of people that sit closer to sales and understand sales strategy way better than i do so i feel like part of this is really just leaning on those people for their expertise and making sure that we that we ask the right questions and um yeah i don't i don't know i that's well, that i have anything like specific to add there really i think it's just kind of the same process anytime something comes to me making sure that i understand why and usually that's like me asking peter why you know i'm not going directly to sales reps to ask them things it's sort of uh yeah right.
0: makes sense i think the again like one of the my favorite analogies is really like thinking about the the mops uh role as a product manager role and one of the things that PMs have that are, that is really helpful is like mock tools, right? Like either be it in, in Lucid or like, if you want to do like a, you know, a Figma design or or Envision or or one of those, Um, what that allows to do is have the PM kind of put together a visualization of the user story to be able to confront with the reality, the, um, uh, the vision and be able to say, oh, like, you know, would this solve the problem before we start pushing anything to engineering and, you know, allow engineer to kind of confront um, the vision with what is actually feasible. I, I do feel like in in the go to, on the go to market side, we're still lacking these tools, right, to be able to like quickly iterate on a vision and translate that user story outside of just like you know great briefs, like you were mentioning. Like the brief today is our tool, right, to iterate and and do that. And I'm curious, like, have you and maybe you haven't, right? But um, like, have you seen tools or tried tools to you know, try to get something similar in terms of the ability to iterate quickly uh, against a, a vision.
2: I I would say that we we do take sort of the product manager approach where like, Steph and I I would say are both like power users of of Lucid products. Um, so so I mean sometimes like um, something that I find helpful is is just live diagramming with uh, with other folks that are maybe providing feedback or. Um, like we're trying to get to some sort of user story. Um, so so like if that's making like a Salesforce like lead record mock-up, um, or um diagramming out like a better like data flow um into our, our platform, say from Snowflake. Um I think I think that's like a really great way for people to to not just like write down their ideas, but really Really say, like, oh, like, that's what I'm talking about, or like, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, because we tend to use like a lot of words synonymously that aren't necessarily synonyms, um, across different teams. So, so, yeah, I mean, I think we, we generally take sort of the, the classic product management approach.
0: Any chance you might be willing to open source some of that, like, Lucid kind of like uh, architecture of how, like the flow of information into Salesforce, like for other MOPS people to replicate and say, Oh, okay. So these are the blocks that we have. This is where it's coming from. I think that would be very helpful. Even though yeah, flow- I
2: mean, we will take like, like we create diagrams for like different, um, sort of levels of granularity. So we have like our high level, like executive level, like data goes from here to here and then back to here. Um, and then we go like all the way down in some cases to like a field level or activity level, um, just to know like where our data is going and like what causes different breakages or like where there are opportunities.
0: Makes sense. And I think, yeah, on, on the lead flow, I know I like, that's actually how I got, uh, into using Lucid, uh, a couple of years ago where like, this was one thing I would do with a lot of our customers is try to do a lead flow diagram and all the decision points saying, okay, lead comes in. Is it a hand raiser? Yes, no. Based off of that. Okay. Then is it like an existing customer? Yes, no. Then like all these things. And I feel like it surprisingly, I see very few companies able to, to manage and maintain that kind of lead view. And then you start realizing, well, there's like, like we have this on the data pipeline side. We should have this on the life and blood of, of the business, which is like the, the customer journey. So um, just my opportunity to push on my, my my quick request for content. Like if by any chance you have something like that, I would love to work with you to be able to publish like some generic version out that people could reuse, because I think it's super helpful to have a diagram to be able to talk very specifically about which part of the journey are we talking about and why we think it's, you know, it's worth kind of focusing on it.
2: For sure. Yeah. Be happy to work with you on that. We use Lucid stuff for everything. Like maybe do right. a fault. Like if you if you want to see some complex diagrams, <laughs> I'd be happy to share.
1: Yeah, we probably take it for granted that we uh, that we work here because it's everywhere.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Well, folks, I know we're at the we're at the top of the hour. Uh, so I wanted to thank you again for for joining us and for sharing a ton of uh, I think super relevant insights and uh, hopefully um, folks on the call got some information. Um, what is the easiest way to reach out to you? If they have specific questions, uh, if they would love to join Lucid, uh, yeah. What's the best way to be in touch with you folks? Well, we're always
2: hiring. Uh, so feel free to reach out to, to Steph for, for, for job opportunities. Um, for me, I would say like, just hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm,
0: I'm quite responsive there.
1: Yeah. Probably same here.
0: Awesome, well then uh, hit up uh, Steph and Peter on LinkedIn. Thanks again for for joining us and sharing uh, candidly and openly. And yeah, I'll talk to you folks very soon and I'll see hopefully most of the folks in the chat next week. Have Perfect. a good one. So much. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks so much.